John chapter 11 this morning. I'm going to read a significant portion of this chapter, although as we're working through it, we'll, we'll not cover everything. But I think, I think just through reading through it, you will uh, you'll be able to see pretty clearly what we're going after in this chapter. John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, And her sister Martha, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here, and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to Jesus and To where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there would be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. 
And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray. Our Father, we give you thanks for the resurrection of your Son. We give you thanks that by your power you raised him from the dead. You kept your word. You were, you were faithful. You accepted his sacrifice and you vindicated him and you justified us. And we just um, stake our all, our every hope, our every confidence in who you are and what you've done. And we give you thanks for this account that not only foreshadows that with great meaning and significance, but also teaches us something of the very person of your son that's, uh, that's crucial and necessary and meaningful for us on this glad resurrection morning. So we give you thanks for what you'll teach us now, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to make sense out of the statement that we are uh, going after this morning, which is perhaps obvious, hopefully, to you, um, in verse 25. I'm going to read it again. This is Jesus' words, one, one sentence in the many things that Jesus said here, but this is what we're going after. Verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I want to work hard to make sense out of that statement, and I, and I want to get there by stepping way back and just stating for us the purpose of John's gospel in John's own words. As John turns the corner toward the final chapter of his gospel at the end of chapter 20. So I'm going to read to you John chapter 20, verse 31, uh, verse 30 and verse 31. And I want to start here because John's purpose statement for his gospel is also my hope for this sermon. So it's important for a number of, of reasons. So here it is, John 20. Verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Those words tell us at least three really important things about John's gospel that I want to begin with this morning. They tell us, first of all, that John's gospel is structured around signs that Jesus performed during his earthly ministry that identified him unmistakably as the Christ, the Son of God. Read it again. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. So John chose what he chose from Jesus' life, leaving much else out, as he says in chapter 21. John chose what he chose from Jesus' life to unmistakably identify Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. Second, John tells us his motive. His motive for structuring his gospel around signs that identify Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, is so that his readers would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. 
He says, these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. This sounds almost identical to what John also states as the purpose of his first epistle, as he nears the end of that as well. So I'll read to you 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. The only difference between those two seems to be to whom John is primarily writing. He says pretty clearly in 1 John 5 that he writes what he writes so that believers would keep believing in the name of the Son so that they might continue to be assured of eternal life. The focus here in his gospel, however, on signs that identify Jesus unmistakably as the Christ of God seems to have a primarily evangelistic thrust to it, although there's room for overlap with both books. First John has certainly been the means of many sinners believing in Jesus, and the gospel of John has certainly brought edification and assurance to God's people ever since it was written, and both works will continue to serve both purposes all the way to the very end. So John structured his gospel around specific signs that Jesus performed to present him to his readers unmistakably as Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. His stated motive in this was that his readers might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the result of which is number three. So that by believing you might have life in his name. So John wants you and me and all who are in this text, this resurrection morning, or in the account of Jesus' resurrection in John 20, John wants us to see in his gospel Jesus for who he is and what he's done so that we might continue to believe in him and so find life in his name. So that those who don't believe in him would believe in him and find life in his name and so that those of us who do believe in him might continue to believe in him over and over, day after day, year after year, and so continue to find life in his name through the ongoing confidence that he has come and that he's made atonement for your sins and that he's absorbed his father's just wrath against you and he's given you new life and triumphed over death and crushed the head of Satan and returned to his father's right hand and rules and reigns over all things and mediates his covenant with you and he's preparing a place for you and he's promised to return for you. So John wrote what he wrote so that if you're here this morning and you're slowly contemplating we're sorting through the words and the works of Jesus and the Bible's claims concerning him or your mom's or your dad's claims concerning him or your friend's claims concerning him. Or maybe you're not the slow contemplator. You're the person who's, you're you say you're aggressively pursuing this, but you're not quite sure where you're going to land. Or you're just a quiet skeptic. Observing and waiting for some kind of a slip-up to invalidate everything that's said here. And in your mind, invalidate everything that the Bible says. John wrote what he wrote to trump you. 
Because he knows the slow contemplator will never find a convenient season to embrace the truth about Jesus. Nor will the aggressive pursuer ever settle for the simplicity of the gospel. Nor will the skeptic ever be satisfied by what he sees and hears. No matter how long he observes and listens, he'll never be satisfied enough by what he sees or hears to repent of his own sin and believe in Jesus. John knows the human problem is deeper than all of that, and he writes about it many times in his gospel, the most familiar of which is John chapter 3, where he says three times, you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. John knows that the human problem is deeper than the surface level of yes or no to Jesus. He knows our problem goes as deep as our nature, which traces back to our first parents who chose rebellion over obedience and plunged all of us to an inherent love of darkness and hatred of light so that we will refuse to come to the light out of fear every time that our own darkness will be exposed. And that disposition cannot be overcome simply by more time or information or evidence or arm twisting. So his stated hope here at the end of his gospel is that the Father might commission the Spirit in the moment of your hearing to overcome you. And to overcome your resistance and make you alive in Christ. And all of that based on his electing grace before the world began. Through the finished work of Christ on the cross. By the power of the Spirit. Because Jesus is risen from the dead. And through the word of God. That he might bring you to faith in Christ. So that you might have life in his name. But that also means that if you're here and you do not believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, you do not have life in his name. Sin and death still reign in you. And Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3 remains true of you. And Ephesians 4, verses 2 through 10 is what you need. And it's precisely what the Apostle John is praying will happen as you read his gospel. So let me read Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3 in in the present tense. And you are dead in the trespasses trespasses and sins in which you walk following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind and are by nature children destined for wrath just like the rest of mankind. That's where you stand before God if you do not believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, your Savior and Redeemer and Lord. In Ephesians 2, 
verses 4 through 10, is what must happen to you. It's Paul's version of what John hopes will happen through his gospel. So I read it to you with the prayer that it would become true of you this morning. So you're dead in your sins. You are by nature children destined for wrath. So what must happen to raise you from the dead to new life and to change the destiny to which you were headed by nature? Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even though you are dead in your trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. So he cancels your debt in Christ's death and he gives you new life in his resurrection. And it's all by grace while you are yet a sinner. It's all by grace, as Paul says twice in the words that follow. By grace you have been saved. So he has made us alive together with Christ He's raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not the result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. John's prayer is that by reading the words of his gospel and by hearing a sermon from the words of his gospel that you might believe. Believe for the forgiveness of your sins and the changing of your destiny and the breathing of new life into your soul. And if you are a believer, that through John and by the power of your spirit, you would keep believing for the, your perseverance in the faith all the way to the very end. And, and I thought, I hoped, I think that knowing this about John's gospel makes sense as to why he structured it around signs that prove that Jesus is who he says he was. Tom, Thomas Schreiner, a really helpful pastor, commentator, says, says this. If the signs, in, in John's gospel, if the signs do not lead to faith, the fault lies not in the signs, but in the human beings who refuse to believe and who fail to see in the signs who Jesus is. This structure and, and purpose didn't just come out of nowhere. Another helpful writer, Anthony Salvaggio. Um, I actually thought about just forgetting giving people's names because I'm quite confident that they get a number of them wrong. Nevertheless, helpful guy. He, he says this. All Old Testament signs serve to authenticate God's appointed divine messengers so that people who believe, so that people would believe the message they brought. 
The seven signs in John's gospel not only verified Jesus' assertion that he proclaims the word of God, but also that he is the very divine word of God. Thus, when Jesus performed his seven signs, he declared something about himself that not even Moses could claim. With these signs, Jesus claimed to be the son of God. And I introduce our text on this Resurrection Sunday this way because Jesus' statement, I am the resurrection and the life, comes in the context of the seventh and final sign of the book, which is also the climactic sign of the book, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. It's kind of a parenthetical note, just in case um, the idea of John's gospel being structured around seven signs is, is new to you and you just want to pursue this further on your own. Let me just list them for you if, you're, if this would be helpful to you. Number one, Jesus turns the water into wine. John 2, verses 1 through 11. Number two, Jesus cleanses the temple. John 2, verses 12 through 17. Number three, Jesus heals the nobleman's son. John 4, verses 46 through 54. Number four, Jesus heals the lame man. John 5, verses 1 through 15. Number five, Jesus feeds the multitude. John 6, verses 1 through 15. Number six, Jesus heals the blind man, John 9. Number seven, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead here in John 11. Now, now if you're paying close attention, you might be wondering, but that's only half the book. John's gospel's 21 chapters. How is his book structured around seven signs when those seven signs only go halfway into the book? To which I would answer, yes, but remember what happens in John chapter 12. We talked about it last week. From John 12 on, there is no more need of signs because the time for his unveiling had come. And Jesus enters Jerusalem riding upon a donkey like the Davidic heir, greater than King Solomon and like Zechariah prophesied the Messiah would. So all that remained to be fulfilled was the one to whom the signs pointed, fulfilling the events of his passion, including his betrayal, his arrest, his scourging and crucifixion, his burial, and finally his resurrection, which we gather to celebrate not only this morning, but every time we gather. So what occasions John 11 is the death of Lazarus. Jesus' friend, and Mary and Martha's brother. A few significant things to note early on in this narrative. First, when Jesus received word that Lazarus was sick, he responded in verse 4, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God would be glorified through it. Obviously, we we know that Lazarus did die. So either Jesus was wrong when he said Lazarus' illness didn't lead to death, or he meant something else, something more. And we should know that he meant something more because this isn't the first time he spoke this way. A short time before, as a matter of fact, as he and his disciples passed a man who was blind from birth, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. 
which they were when Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva and anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And he went and did as Jesus said, and he came back seeing. God's glory was revealed and God's son was glorified as the Jews demanded the man, give glory to God and not Jesus, the sinner. And the man answered, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And he goes on to say why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And the Jews cast the man away from their presence. And yet Jesus sought him out and found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him so significantly, considering he was born blind, Jesus said, You have seen him. And it's he who's speaking to you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And God's purpose And Lazarus' illness that led to his death was no different. That the glory of God might be revealed and that the Son of God might be glorified through it. But it doesn't necessarily come about the way that you would expect or the way that Mary and Martha hoped. Did it? Not only that, but both John and Jesus say a few very surprising things in the process of the story unfolding that I think need to be explained this morning. Look first at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Therefore, so stop there just for a minute because it's important that you understand what John just said. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and because he loved them, which is what the word therefore means, because Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So, This illness is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And Jesus, knowing this was the design of Lazarus' illness because it is the design of all things, when he heard about it, he chose to wait two days more before he even left to go ultimately to Jerusalem in chapter 12, but to stop in Bethany on the way and show Mary and Martha and Lazarus how God's glory would be revealed and the Son of God glorified in Lazarus' illness. And we know, as the story unfolds, that Lazarus dies before Jesus gets there. And probably died even before the messengers Mary and Martha sent returned, considering he had been dead four days by the time Jesus arrives. And this doesn't take Jesus by surprise, because before he and his disciples even arrive in Bethany at Mary and Martha's house, he plainly tells his disciples in verse 14, Lazarus has died 
Which brings us to the other surprising thing that our text records from this story. And this time it's from the mouth of Jesus himself. Verse 14, again, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. So Jesus hears that his beloved friend was very ill, very near to death, and that his beloved friends were full of fear. And instead of dropping everything and running to them, he not only waits two days before he even leaves to go to them, but then he tells his disciples that he's glad he did. And when he provides reasoning for his gladness that he was not there to heal Lazarus before he died, he says he is glad for their sakes. And the first thing you should be asking yourselves is, for their sakes, for the disciples' sakes, what about for Lazarus' sake? What about for Mary and Martha's sakes? But wait a minute. Jesus' words are so instructive because they reveal that God's purpose in Lazarus' Illness that led to his death for the revealing of God's glory and for the glory of the Son of God had bigger and broader designs than God's glory being revealed and the Son of God glorified in Mary and Martha and Lazarus alone, that God was doing something more than that. And his knowledge of the full scope of his intentions is what causes him to do what he does always. Jesus and his disciples are presumably on their way to Bethany having this conversation. And he says in verse 15 that God purposed to do something in them as well through what was about to happen in Bethany. And for their sakes, Jesus was glad that he was not there, quote, so that you may believe. Understandably, Mary and Martha are somewhat confused when Jesus arrives. Even if in the end Lazarus proved to have died before the messengers even returned, he still didn't even really try to get there on time, did he? The messengers had probably been back for two days, and many far less dear Friends had already shown up to console them, according to verse 19. Predictably, if you remember the day at their house sometime earlier, as Luke records it in Luke chapter 10, Martha runs to Jesus as she hears he's drawing near. And and please do not misread Martha's words to Jesus. Her words toward him are not accusatory as an angry Her words toward him are full of faith, as we must assume are her sisters later on. They would not have sent for Jesus if they did not believe that Jesus could heal their brother, even if he were inches, moments, seconds from death. As a matter of fact, my my guess is what Martha utters to Jesus in verse 24 is all we hope to hear from friends and loved ones at funerals today because they express confidence in God's promises. She says, Jesus, I I know that my brother will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And brothers and sisters, that is spirit given hope 
that overcomes worldly sorrow in the face of death. But Martha didn't know 1 Thessalonians 4. It wasn't even written yet. And Jesus hadn't died yet or been raised from the dead yet. So how did she know that there would be a resurrection on the last day? To be most obvious, she knew it because her Lord to whom she spoke taught it from the law and the prophets and the writings of the Old Testament during his earthly ministry. Listen to a few earlier texts from Jesus' life that provide a helpful backdrop to this. John chapter 5, verses 19 through 29. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted that the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Another is John chapter 6, verses 39 and 40. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he's already taught his hearers what he's declaring in that sign. He's saying, I am the Son who does all that I see the Father doing. I give life to whomever I will. The dead hear my voice and live. In other words, our text, I am the resurrection and the life, Martha. I know that my brother will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Day. No, no, Martha. The resurrection is not a thing or an event that happens to someone on the last day. Martha, 
Christ fellowship. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, your brother's illness and death was not about you or Mary or even your brother. It was about the revealing of the glory of God in the person of the Son. So that the Son might be glorified as the one who rules over death and gives life to whomever he wills. Jesus is pointing Martha and Mary after her and the disciples with him and the crowds gathered and even Lazarus himself passed the sign of resurrection as a thing to the reality of resurrection in a person. Jesus, the reality. I am the resurrection and the life. He's pointing them beyond the sign to the reality in himself. And he's pointing us to our union with him. As he continues, whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. The resurrection is not an event that will happen in the future. It is a reality now and will be forever for all who are united to the Son, who is in himself the resurrection and the life. So it is fitting that Jesus ends his conversation with Martha with the same question that I ask you this morning verse 26 do you believe this my prayer is that your response would be her response as it is recorded in verse 27 she confesses yes Lord I believe that you are the Christ the son of God who is coming into the world. My prayer is that that would be your response rather than the response of those in John 12, verse 37. When all signs were done and over and the reality was standing in their midst, here's what we read. Though Jesus had done so many signs before them, Yet they still did not believe in him, the reality. Brothers and sisters, Lazarus' resurrection certainly foreshadows Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is certainly the ground and assurance of our own justification and resurrection on the last day. But Lazarus' resurrection from the dead was also the transition from the sign to the reality. Resurrection hope to Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. I am the resurrection and the life. Christ fellowship. Close by asking again. Do you believe this? Let's pray.
Our Father, we offer up to you our praise. Not only for what calls us to together on this one very special Sunday each year when we commemorate, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, but we recognize, Lord, it is what gathers us together, keeps us together each week of every year as one body united to our risen head and Lord, our Savior, your Son, Jesus. Father, my my prayer, along with John, is that by reading text from his gospel, by, Lord, attempting to explain it in a an understandable way that any here who do not trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for their salvation may be brought powerfully, inescapably, effectually by the Holy Spirit to faith in him. And that for those of us who do profess faith in Christ, that the same Holy Spirit would maintain, strengthen the faith that he so deeply has implanted in us through the finished work of Christ. Father, we give you our praise in Jesus' name. Amen.